Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to start tonight in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to the, to the multitude, uh, and he gives us some tremendously important information, speaking to them in parables. Mark chapter 4, we'll start with verse 3. It says, Hark, and behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, but because it had no depth of earth... But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And the other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. You know, there's, um, I've read stories about during World War II that was, uh, there were some real turning points, um, some significant points in time that made the difference between the defeat of Germany and the Axis forces or whether or not the Allied forces would lose. And, uh, and one of the things that, um, uh, the, many authors have um, designated as a, a real significant event is when the Allied forces were able to break the code that the Axis powers were speaking or sending messages and so forth. And the way that they did that is they obtained one of their code machines and they reverse engineered it, so to speak, and they found the cipher or the code breaker solution so that for the last year or so of the war, they were able to intercept the enemy communication. And the enemy didn't know that uh, the Axis forces didn't know that they had broken the codes. And so they went through some real elaborate um, means of deception to let them continue to think that they didn't know what was going on. They weren't able to to, um, break the code and, and... decipher their, the information coming from the, from the enemy. That's what Jesus is talking about here when he says, unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. He's saying this parable is the code breaker. It's the cipher. It's the pattern that unlocks everything else about the kingdom of God. Now I'll remind you that when Jesus sent the disciples out to go into the towns that he had never been to, to precede his ministry there, he sent them forth two by two, he told them, that for those cities that would receive them, heal the sick that are therein and tell them that the kingdom of God has come nigh. In other words, he's saying the kingdom of God is near. Well, the kingdom of God isn't near for us. It's already come. Colossians 1.13 says that we've been translated, delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. Well, that would have to be the kingdom of God then, wouldn't it? The kingdom of Jesus has to be the kingdom of God. And Jesus is giving them a heads up. He says, unto you it is given to know the mystery. Here's the code breaker. Here's the thing that if you understand this truth, you can understand and take part of everything that belongs to the kingdom of God. Well, we know for sure that healing is part of that. Jesus said so himself. And so Jesus says, unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to them that are without, 
All these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Now, please notice that Jesus is not trying to make it easy for everybody. If you're going to take hold of the things that belong to you because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you're going to have to dig for it. You're going to have to be committed to it. I think we have the idea that God's such a loving God that he wants everybody to have everything that belongs to them, and he does. But as a wise father, he understands that total commitment on our part is going to be necessary to hold us up against the things that that the world throws at us. I want you to skip down with me also to verse 26, I believe it is. Jesus is still explaining certain things, but he goes back to a description of what the kingdom of God is like. Now, we can keep saying the kingdom of God, and, and probably will for a little bit, but the part of the kingdom of God that, that um, uh, applies to us in this service is healing. So I'm going to substitute that since we know without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, we know that healing is a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus said so. He told the disciples, heal the sick and tell everybody the kingdom of God is coming nigh. In other words, that Jesus is just on the edge of going to the cross, paying the price for our sins, for our salvation, and bringing us into the family of God or the kingdom of God for ourselves. So we're going to, let me substitute healing in there for kingdom of God. He said, so is healing as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Well, he knows that he's talking about, and he knows they're not, and he knows they know, the disciples know, that he's talking about the same parable that he said was the key, the mystery that unlocks all of the kingdom of God, the mystery that unlocks all the parables, the mystery that unlocks everything that belongs to us because of Jesus' sacrifice, the mystery or the key that unlocks the door of healing. He said, so is the kingdom of God or healing. As if a man should cast seed into the ground. He's saying that healing grows. Healing grows. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed in the ground and should sleep and rise night and day. And the seed should spring and grow up. He knows not how. Isn't that good news? We don't have to know how. We just have to know what. And that's what Jesus says this parable is about. It's the code breaker to know what. It's the code breaker to know the will of God for us. It's the code breaker to bring us into the fullness of everything Jesus paid for. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. God wants you to have every bit of that. And he gave you the, the code. He gave you the code breaker, the, the cipher, that shows you how to take advantage of it. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground... And should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring up and grow up. He knows not how. Let's skip back with me. Let's go back to the, his explanation of this parable. So let's start uh, in uh, verse 14. Jesus is explaining the key to understanding everything about what God provides for us. He's going to explain to them the key to take hold of healing. Verse 14, he said, the sower sows the word. That's important to realize that the sower sowed the same word, the same seed into every different part of the ground. 
And there's no deliberation. There's no point in discussing whether or not the, the seed that fell in one type of ground was as effective or was as powerful as in another. The seed's the same. The seed's always the same. So the, the important thing for us to realize is that the seed produces different results in different types of people, which is what the ground is speaking to, is speaking to the hearts of man, the spirits of mankind. He's saying the results that the seed produces isn't relative or isn't dependent on the seed, but the ground. So the results that you are going to get from healing may be different than the results I get from healing, but we can both have the same results if we take hold of what the Bible says and put it in practice in our lives. See, that uh, explains a lot for people who have questions about people that were um, very dedicated and, and loved God with all their hearts and so forth. You don't have to go too far into the discussion of healing before somebody will speak up and say, well, what about dear saint so-and-so? And they'll reference somebody that they knew of that lived a godly life and loved God with all their heart, but they died sick. Well, that speaks to the ground, not the seed. The seed's always good. So he said, the sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. In other words, they're not really interested in the things of God. They heard it. They have information. They may have sent to it mentally, but they're not really interested. They've got other things to do, so they ignore their, the blessing that is, could have been theirs. And these are they likewise, which were sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. They're on the right track. They start off well. But they have no root in themselves. And so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. I want you to notice what the devil will bring to you once you make a commitment to, to hold fast to the word. Or when you hear the word and begin to operate in it. The Bible tells us that Satan brings affliction or persecution for the purpose of offending us. For the purpose of offending us. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The only problem is the earth doesn't have much depth. These words literally mean no moisture. It has no moisture. Now, you know as well as I do, the thing that creates a, a viable and healthy root system for any plant that we put in the ground is the watering. There may be certain things that we need to do in the planting, how deep it goes, how much soil is close to the, the roots and, and so forth. But the thing that really makes the difference once the seed is planted is the moisture, the watering plan or system. This is what Jesus says was ignored. The stony ground he talks about, hear the word, want everything that they heard that, it, that, uh, that Jesus did for us. But because of their actions, or in this case inaction, to water the seed, because of their unwillingness to do whatever it took to water the seed, when the pressure starts building and the devil starts coming to you and questioning well if healing belongs to you then why this or if healing belongs to everybody why that when those things occur there's only one thing that can enable you to withstand that kind of pressure 
And that's the watering of the seed. This type of ground, the stony ground, didn't do that. Then Jesus goes to the next type of person. Verse 18, he said, And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, this is the kind of person that mix up, mixes up the, thing of God, the things of God with everything else in their life. This is the kind of person that isn't committed 100% to the word, first and foremost to the word. But hearing the word is just kind of a part of what they do. But over time, you'll find that if you don't make a, a legitimate and an, uh, a constant determination to put the word first, then the word will start to get away from you. It will start to be overcome by other things. You can test this out for yourself. We've probably all been in situations where there are times where we've been aware and focused on singing praise songs to God and things like that, but then you get in a situation where you might be in somebody else's car or whatever and you hear their music, listen to it long enough, and it will drown out the praises that you were singing. You'll pick up on what you hear, whether it's songs, whether it's preaching, whether it's teaching, whatever. You'll pick up on what you hear. That's what these people are, this type of ground references. Someone with the cares of this world and maybe their lack of certain things that they need or want or whatever it might be becomes more important to them and a bigger issue in their life than the word and they give up on watering the word. Finally, Jesus said, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold and some 60 and some 100. I want you to notice something. Even the good ground doesn't always produce the same results as others. Now, what makes the difference? Your attitude and my attitude toward the things of God, toward the word. Now, Paul picks up on this, uh, uh, this same illustration I'm going to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to know something that Paul said writing to the Corinthians. Paul established the church, but there were other people that had come through. Apollos is one that he specifically mentions that had come through. Notice beginning in verse 6, 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I have planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now, what are they doing? Well, Paul said he planted. He said Apollos watered. But what does that mean? Is Apollos teaching or preaching something different than Paul did? No. He's preaching Paul's revelation. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that Apollos was instructed. All he knew was John's baptism. And he was out trying to preach that and trying to do what God wanted him to do in that respect. But Aquila and Priscilla, who were close friends of Paul, he worked with them and stayed with them when he was in their city. They had to move out of Jerusalem because of the uh, persecution. They wound up in Ephesus for a while and they were in different places after that. But the Bible tells us that Aquila and Priscilla taught Apollos Paul's revelation. We don't know at this point in time if Paul's ever met Apollos. There's no indication that he has. We know that later in, the, in Paul's ministry he sent word to Apollos and asked him to go to a certain place. And minister to those people in his absence because he couldn't get there. He was in prison. And Apollos wouldn't do it. He said, well, it's just not convenient for me at the time. 
So we know a little bit about these guys, but notice Paul said, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Well, we know what Paul planted. And notice he uses the gardening illustration just like Jesus did in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 4. He said, I planted. What did he plant? The word of God. And Apollos watered. What did he water with? The word of God. See, the first time you hear the word is planting. Every time that you hear the word after that is watering. Which indicates to us that God expects us to have a continual exercise or operation of taking care of the word that we've heard. Continual. Now, the stony ground, we're giving some attention to the word, but not first and foremost in their lives. It got choked out by the cares of this world. It got choked out by the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts or the desires for other things. They didn't keep the word first place. And so their results were hindered. Paul said, I have planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything. The word's the key, not the person you heard it from. Neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. In other words, we're doing the same work at different time periods, but we're delivering the same truth of the word at God's will. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are, are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labors. For we are God's, we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Most translations translate this uh, as you are God's garden. You're his garden and you're his building. And the word building means a completed work. In other words, it's saying you're God's garden. God has completed the work in you. Well, what work? The work of salvation. The work of providing and delivering the kingdom of God and all of its benefits to you. Paul is saying the same thing Jesus said. He's saying the seed is sufficient. The truth of the word is sufficient to produce any and every result you need. But whether or not you're going to get those results depends on you and not God. God gives the increase according to the degree that you keep the word of God first place in your life. God gives the increase. Folks, I want you to understand what the Bible is trying to get across to us. We know that the good ground, well, all of these types of ground, we know are types of people, examples of people, and the way people live their lives and the, the place or the prominence that they give to the things of God or not. We know that that's what makes the difference between the good ground and the stony ground and the, the thorns and the wayside. It's our attitude and diligence concerning the things of God, specifically his word. But I want you to understand something. Here's what that means. It means God created the human spirit to grow all the things that Jesus paid the price for. We're talking about healing, so we'll use this example. God created your spirit. He created you this way. You don't have to try to make it this way. He created you, your spirit, to be the incubator for healing. To grow a harvest of healing for your physical body. You're made that way. I'm an amateur gardener. I've learned how to grow tomatoes. 
And if you know, talk to anybody that knows anything about gardening, tomatoes are the easiest thing to grow. Well, that's the limit of my success with gardening. But every year before I plant, I bring in a layer of topsoil or sometimes we get some manure to mix in and I just try to make the ground as good as I can make it before I plant my tomatoes. And it always works out well. I've got great tomato plants. I am an expert tomato farmer. Uh, There's no pride in that. Tomatoes are so easy when you know the basics, you just can't hardly mess them up. So I stick with the easy things. But one thing that I I encounter every year when I plan for the soil to come in before the plants are ready to go into the ground, I find that even though it's maybe completely good soil, I expect it to be perfect. The place I get it from is always real good about it. But I notice that if I let it sit for several days before I plant the tomatoes, it'll start growing other stuff. Weeds will start coming up. Things that I don't want in my garden will start coming up. And the first time I noticed that, God really dealt with my heart about it because I didn't plant any of the stuff that's growing in there. It just came on its own. And the Lord spoke something in my heart that I'll never forget and it stuck with me for all these years. He said very simply this, dirt was made to grow stuff. And from that, I realized from the parable that, he's, that he gives us, if you don't plant the right stuff, then the wrong stuff will come up. So every year, I've learned the system. Every year when I get new soil in, I let it sit there. I water it before the, my tomato plants ever get close to it because I know that I need to wait for something, whatever else is in there, to grow and start coming up so I can get rid of it. See, if I do it too quickly before the wrong stuff starts growing, I won't be able to get in there and pull it out. Well, in the same way, your spirit, the human spirit, is designed to grow. It's designed to grow, and it'll either grow good stuff or it'll grow bad stuff. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, about verse 34, he said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. Well, the only way to bring something forth from your heart is to speak it. So literally, he's saying a good man out of the good treasure of his heart speaketh forth good things. Now, when you speak forth good things, you're either planning, if it's the first time that you've done it, if it's an exercise of your authority or your faith in God towards something, toward healing, whatever it is. The first time you do that is planning. The second time and every time thereafter is, is watering. Your spirit will grow either a good crop or a bad crop. You don't have to try to make it grow. It'll just grow. Now, you are, if you want a good crop, meaning the things of God and the things that belong to you through Jesus' sacrifice, that's going to take some effort. But if you want to just float through life, just bouncing off whatever comes, good or bad, wanted or unwanted, then all you got to do is let other things be more important than the word, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. That's what Jesus is talking about. Those are the thorns that come up and choke the seed. Your heart, your spirit, created in the image and likeness of God, was designed, is designed, to produce the results of the word of God.
I'm going to read to you from Isaiah 55. Even in the Old Testament, we understood these things. Isaiah 55. Let's start in verse... uh, Well, we'll start in verse 8. You're familiar with some of this, I'm sure. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Now, he's not taunting us. He's not saying you can never think my thoughts. He's not saying you can never understand or operate or join into my ways. He's not saying that at all. In fact, he's saying just the opposite. The rest of this passage will bring it out. But he's saying just the opposite. He's saying you can think my thoughts, and I want you to. You can know my ways. I want you to, and I want them to be your ways. Well, if we can't, don't normally or without effort think God's thoughts and know his ways, then how are we going to come to know what his thoughts are or what his ways are? Let's keep reading. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. He's saying the word of God is like rain or snow, moisture. Well, that's what plants the seed is the word. That's what waters the seed. It's the word. And now even in the Old Testament, God is saying, so shall my word be. In other words, he's saying it doesn't start to snow and then the snow go back up to heaven. When it starts to snow, when it starts to rain, it waters the earth because that's what it's made to do. The rain doesn't have an opportunity to stop halfway down and turn around and go back. He's saying this is what it's made to do. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. He's saying the word's just like rain or snow. He's telling us that it will accomplish whatever he designed it to do. Let's keep reading. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. Meaning void of power. But it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. In other words, he's saying, here's how good the word of God is as a seed. And remember the whole kingdom of God. Is based on this understanding of planting seed in the ground, letting it grow up. So he's saying, here's how effective healing scriptures are. It will always accomplish what I sent it to do. Now, when you understand the parable of the sower sowing the word and the four different types of ground, then you know that the results don't depend on God. It doesn't even depend on the strength of the, the effectiveness of the seed, the quality of the seed. It depends on the determination and the will of the individual who hears. So God said, my word is just the same way that rain and snow work. I send my word so that you know my thoughts. I send my word so that you'll know my ways. I sent my word so that you'd know that healing belongs to you. Now, what are you going to do with it? Psalm 107 verse 20 tells us that God sent his word and healed us and delivered us from our destructions. What's he talking about? He's saying the word of God is a seed. And the whole kingdom of God, everything about the kingdom of God comes about as a result of planting the seed that you hear in your own heart. Watering that seed by confessing it, by speaking it out. He's saying everything about the kingdom of God works like that. Everything. Everything. 
Healing works that way. Now, I know a lot of people would like healing to work different ways. There's a lot of people out there. I hope you're not one of them. But there's a lot of people out there that don't care about believing the word. They don't care about confessing the word. They don't want to go to the time and trouble and effort it takes to put the word first in their lives. They just want somebody with a healing anointing that can help them. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus said, so is the kingdom of God. As if there were a multitude of ministers that had enough power to take care of your problem. That's not what he said. He said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed in in the ground, meaning in your own spirit. You're the only one that can put something in your spirit. You're the only one that can grow something in your spirit. Even though that's the way it's designed to work, even though God made it to be that way, he gave us assurance that if we would do what the Bible says about keeping and, and protecting the word and watering it and so forth, that it would always produce results, it will always produce healing. But it's up to you and it's up to me. It's up to you and it's up to me. Now I want you to turn back with me to Mark chapter 5. I want to show you an example of this. Mark chapter 5 beginning in verse 25 it says, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better but rather grew worse, when she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment for... Here's why she came through and touched his garment for or because she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. I want to read to you from a couple of other translations. Verse 28, for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. I just want to pick out a couple. There are many that we could use. The International Standard Version says, because she had been saying, If I can just touch his his robe, I will get well. The lexicon Bible says, For she was saying, If I touch but his clothing, I shall be healed. The Amplified Bible says, For she kept saying, If I only touch his garments, I shall be restored to health. And another translation says, For she kept saying, If I touch even his clothes, I shall be healed. Now, Greek scholars, and I'm not one of them, but Greek scholars tell us that in verse 28, the words literally mean, a continuous action. She didn't just say one time, if I can touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If she had done that, that would have been the planting of the seed, but then she probably would have turned out as a stony ground because she didn't keep watering it. But there are enough translations to be confident, along with what others that are supposed to know the language better than we do can tell us, that it was a continuous action. She's watering that thing every time she speaks about it. She's watering the seed of healing time after time after time. Now, how long did she do that? There's no way to know. It tells us that she heard of Jesus. That has to mean that she heard of Jesus healing. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Jesus is going to credit her faith as being the healing agent in verse 34. And so it would be impossible for her to have faith if she hadn't heard of Jesus healing the sick. She could not have had faith for healing unless she heard that Jesus was healing. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If she heard Jesus was baptizing in the Jordan River, that wouldn't have given her faith for healing. She had to have heard, among whatever else she did hear about Jesus, that he was healing the sick. So she took it and made it personal. 
Do you realize that's what we do when we confess the word? We're making it personal. It's taking the word off the page and planting it in our heart that is designed to grow healing. It's designed to change and affect a change in your physical body. And God said, my word will not return unto me void of power. In other words, my word will always be effective and always be powerful enough to bring forth a harvest. It will accomplish what I sent it to do. It will finish the work that I designed it to do. Well, what work is designed? Folks, please understand this. I just saw this recently and it just thrilled me. There's only one reason for God to tell us about himself and about what Jesus did for us in his word. There's only one reason. And that is it's designed to be planted in your heart so that it comes to pass. Otherwise, why tell us what Jesus did? Why go through the the details that the Bible tells us about Jesus taking our infirmities and bearing our sicknesses and with his stripes we were healed? It's providing a seed to plant. The whole of the kingdom of God is like the word of God planted in your heart. By speaking it, by confessing it, by quoting it, by putting God in remembrance of what he said. All these are effective means and measures to grow a harvest of healing. That's what she did. She grew a harvest of healing. After 12 years being given up by medical doctors, medical science, whatever it was at the time. After having spent everything she'd done on doctors. So now she's not only not better physically, but now she's broke. She came to the realization that Jesus doing healing works and claiming that the result of those works or claiming that those result, those works are a result of being sent by the father to do what he was doing. She made it personal. She began to say, and she kept saying, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Well, what did it bring to her? Healing. She grew a harvest of healing in her own heart. She couldn't tell anybody else what was going on. Certainly not anybody in that crowd. Because she was subject to stoning. Death by stoning. Because she had this issue of blood. It was considered to be a communicable disease. Just like leprosy. And so anybody that had this condition. Would be required by the law of Moses. To holler out. Unclean, unclean. Let people know. You don't want to get around me. This condition I've got. Could get on you too. But she didn't do that. She focused on what she planted in her heart and watered with her mouth. She focused on what she could have because of what she did, what she had heard that Jesus was doing. Well, when she touched him, she felt power go out of him and into her. Jesus did too. Jesus felt it as well. Please notice she didn't feel anything until after she believed. She didn't feel a thing until after she believed. So Jesus, immediately stopping, knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said to the disciples, or anybody that was close, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who who touched me? The word thronging is the word to compress, to crowd in on all sides. In other words, the disciples' answer indicates to us that everybody that can get close enough to Jesus is reaching out to touch him. Yet Jesus says, somebody touched me in a different way. He recognized that. 
He recognized the action of faith. That means of all the multitude and as big a crowd as it might have been, we don't know what it was. We don't know if it was hundreds. We don't know if it was thousands. But the answer that the disciples give us indicates that everybody is jockeying for position to get close enough to touch him. And out of that whole multitude, only one person touched him in faith. Everybody's doing the same physical, taking the same physical action. Everybody's reaching out and touching him just the same way. But hers was different. Her situation was different. Her touch was different. Because it was a result of the seed of God's word that she had planted in her heart. It was a touch of faith. Jesus recognized it. I wonder if God still recognizes faith today. Now of all the things that you may hear in church circles, different church circles, denominational circles or whatever. Of all of those things that are spoken of, you'll hear people say that healing has been done away with. You'll hear people say that the healing was done away with when the last apostle died and things like that. God doesn't do that nowadays and so forth. One thing that you'll never hear is that faith has been done away with. Because if you ever hear somebody say that faith has been done away with, then there is no such thing as salvation. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It doesn't say faith is one of the ways. It says faith is the way to enter into salvation. So of all the complaints, all the arguments, and all the devices that religions have come up with to try to discount the healing power of God or the, heal, the will of God to heal today, one thing you'll never hear anybody say is that faith's been done away with. Notice what Jesus says to her. Jesus says, who touched my clothes? And the disciples say, everybody's touching your clothes. We can't find just one person doing it. But he looked around about to see her that had done this thing in verse 33. But when the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, I want you to notice she goes from believing to feeling to knowing. That's the progression of the kingdom of God planted in your heart, the seed of God's word planted in your heart. First, it's believing without any outward sign that what you believe is true. Second, it's feeling. You will feel a change in your body if you hold fast to the word. And third is knowing. Now she knows that she knows she knows. She knows that Jesus is sent from God and it's God's will to heal her because look what's happened. So the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said, notice verse 34, and he said unto her, Daughter, the power of God has made you whole. That's not what he said. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now, who is this woman? We have to assume that she's a Jewish. We have to assume that she's of the, the nation of Israel, descendant, a physical, literal descendant of Abraham. We have to assume that much, I think. But what else do we know about her? Well, we know for the last 12 years she hadn't been doing anything about healing except going to doctors. We know for the last 12 years she's experienced every kind of rejection possible by medical science and the doctors of her day. We also know that she couldn't be saved because Jesus hadn't yet been to the cross. So salvation for her is out of the question. Who is this woman? Just somebody that chose to believe. Is she the one out of the million that heard what was necessary to be healed? Or is it more a case of the good seed falling onto bad ground, like Jesus told us about? She's definitely good ground. But what about everybody else that's trying to touch him and trying to reach him? 
What about the motives behind her or, or the motives behind their reaching out to touch Jesus? Whatever their motives were, I'm sure there were a lot of people that were sick in that crowd that wanted to be healed, maybe just as much as a woman with issue of blood. But she's the only one that reached out in faith. She's the only one, therefore, that planted the seed of God's word. Whatever she heard about Jesus and his healing ministry, she planted that in her heart. And according to the language, she kept saying, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. She kept saying it. She kept that thing watered. She kept that seed watered. She didn't just plant it and see what was going to happen. She kept that seed watered, watered by speaking over and over again. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be healed. That indicates to me, now this might not be right, but that indicates to me since faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, I'm inclined to believe that she heard of Jesus healing through physical touch. Because she could have extended her faith like the, the uh, centurion in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus was willing to go to his house and heal the servant of the centurion. But the, the centurion said, you don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. He understood authority. He understood that it didn't take a physical contact. But that's what the woman with the issue of blood had faith in. Physical contact. So I, I assume. I think I can make a case for it. But I assume that means that she heard that Jesus was laying hands on the sick in certain places and people were healed. So she personalizes it. She says, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just get close enough to him to touch him, I shall be whole. And Jesus said, that was faith. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. I don't see this woman as a believer in the Messiah for any great length of time. I believe she's a woman that was in a desperate condition. The doctors haven't given up on her and spent all of her living on doctors. I believe that she was a person that was in a desperate situation. And when she heard that Jesus was healing the sick, she immediately grabbed onto that. But I don't see her as somebody that's been following Jesus around in his travels like the 70 did. I don't see her as somebody that had some inside track to special information or, or teaching from Jesus I don't see her as somebody that Jesus has been coaching along and saying, you're almost there. Keep believing you're almost there. Maybe you need to start saying it more. Maybe you need to start confessing it more. You're almost there. Come on, you can get there. I don't see her in that position, do you? She's somebody that simply heard the word of God and took it personally. She took it personally. You know the difference between the good ground and the other types of ground? The wayside, the stony ground, and the thorny ground, they didn't take it personal. The woman with the issue of blood did. She took it personally. You know, we talk about stories and illustrations, incidents where God's healing power was manifested. And the ones that make the greatest stories are the ones that happen quickly. Smith Wigglesworth who was known as, an, as the apostle of faith. He had different measures of faith operating in his life and his ministry. There's no question that special faith was a part of what he was gifted with. But you don't live by that. That special faith was a part of his ministry. But he was responsible for believing the word just like you and I. And of all the wonderful things that took place in his ministry, the campaigns and the crusades or whatever meetings you want to 
whatever you want to label the meetings that he had in other churches and places, whatever you want to call them, of all those times where he got results, incurable conditions, they were either instantly healed or healed over a period of a couple of days. Most of his ministry, from what I understand, and what I've been able to, to get through reading about him, most of his ministry was where he would go to a town and have a meeting in a church, or sometimes they were in neutral buildings if church, different churches were co-op, cooperating together. But most of his ministry was for a couple of days in a church, two or three, four days in church. And over a period of time, there were very rarely first-day miracles, first-day healings. But almost always, before the meeting was over, within those three or four days, however long it was scheduled, particularly the last night of the last day of, the, of his meetings, there would be such a flood of things that had happened over the last few days that almost the whole congregation, in some places the, the whole congregation, would get swept up into the power of God and it would increase and increase and increase. What we don't tell you, what you've got to research to find out, is that after these great meetings, great campaigns, sometimes where the power of God was in such manifestation that it was greater than anybody had ever seen in their lifetimes. After those meetings were over, Wilkesworth went back to his room and he struggled with his own condition. For seven years, he believed God to pass kidney stones. For seven years. Now, I want to ask you something about that. What do we conclude about him? We can't say that he didn't know what faith was because it was through his teaching of faith that thousands, multitudes of people received from God. He was a man that God used greatly in the gift of faith. There were people that were healed instantly in some cases out of wheelchairs and off stretchers and so forth. There were 20 some odd people raised from the dead throughout the years of his ministry. You can't say that guy doesn't know faith. But see, when it came to him personally, he couldn't rely on that same anointing that he ministered to other people to help him. He had to choose what kind of ground he was going to be for himself. He wouldn't let him operate because he wanted to trust God with his body. And after seven years, it took seven long years, he'd, the way he described it, in his writings was that it was a daily struggle there were times where he wouldn't be able to sleep at night because of the pain but after seven years the pain and the kidney stones disappeared see he knew the answer for him was the same answer that he's preaching to other people God sent his word and healed us what did he know he knew that his spirit was the garden where the healing power of God would manifest and be harvested. He knew the power of the word. I wonder if there were ever times where the devil came to him. Put yourself in his position and decide for yourself. But I wonder if there was any times where the devil came to him and said, well, look, that healing power works for everybody else, but you don't even know how to believe God for yourself. I can't see the devil leaving him alone on that point, can you? I wonder if there were ever, were ever questions 
that the devil brought to him about why this has happened and why it's taken so long and why God won't move on his behalf. I can't see the devil leaving him alone on that one either. But Wigglesworth, every morning, no matter what kind of fitful night he had because of his condition, no matter what else was going on, whether he slept or not, every morning he said that he got up and told his body how it felt. Somebody asked him one time, how do you feel in the morning? He laughed and said, I don't ever ask myself. I just always get up and tell my body how it is. What's he doing? He's watering the seed. I would venture to say that he would have preferred there to be a shorter growing time than seven years. But we don't control that, do we? What do we control? We control what kind of ground we're going to be. Folks, the whole of the mystery of God, everything about the the hidden things, the secret things of of the kingdom of God are understood by this one simple thing that Jesus said. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should plant seed in his heart. The ground he's talking about is the heart, the spirit of man. Everything about the kingdom of God is confessing the word of God to your own spirit. And God said that the power of his word was always sufficient to grow a harvest. You really were healed by the stripes of Jesus. It's not going to be healed someday, somehow. You have already been healed by the stripes of Jesus. And the truth of that, the reality of that, when planted in your heart and held fast to and watered by your confession, by saying it to yourself over and over and over again, cannot fail to produce results, cannot fail to produce healing results unless we give up. That's the part we control. God said it'll work every time. He didn't say it'll work instantly every time. He didn't even say it'll work quickly every time. He just said it'll work every time. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for all the wonderful things that you've done for us through Jesus, his sacrifice. We thank you first and foremost of all tonight at least. We thank you that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes we are healed. So we declare, Father, that healing is ours. We declare that Jesus bore our infirmities. We declare that our bodies are healed. We call those things that be not as though they were and declare that our bodies are well, healed by the stripes of Jesus. Father, it's so good to know that all we have to do is trust you. It's so good to know that all we have to do is hold fast the profession of our faith because you're faithful who promised. We thank you, Father, for revealing to us all that Jesus has done for us. Revealing to us the wonderful truth that healing is ours. We thank you, Lord, for restoring us to divine health. Like the woman with the issue of blood, understanding the principles of faith, we reach out and take hold of your garment. Even as the scripture says, there's healing in your wings. We reach out and take hold of it by faith. We thank you, Lord, for doing a great work. We thank you for raising us up. 
We thank you that the prayer of faith heals the sick just like the woman's operation of faith in Mark chapter 5. We thank you that it's your will to always heal. It's always your will to heal. So we take hold of it now by faith in Jesus' name. We'll keep the seed planted. We'll keep watering it. And whether it's one day or a thousand days, we believe your word, Father, that the healing harvest will grow to effect a change and a cure in our natural, physical bodies. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me finish the story about Wigglesworth real quickly. Put a little cap on it. Wigglesworth late in his life identified the suffering and the seven years of believing God for this thing. He said, after it was all over, he said it was the greatest honor of his life to believe God for that period of time to be completely restored to health. He wasn't complaining about how long it took. He said, it was the greatest honor of my life to defeat the work of the devil in my own body. I think we ought to have that same attitude, don't you? That's the kind of person I want to be with God. I don't want God to look at me and say, well, I had to speed up healing because he would have lost it and turned loose of it. I want to be somebody like Wigglesworth that said, it's the greatest honor of my life to see the word of God work in my body. Amen. Amen. Well, let's all stand. As you probably know, there's an ice cream social that's taking place out there. I've heard some kind of rumor about root beer floats. Maybe that's why you're here. What? And milkshakes. milkshakes. Stop by and grab some ice cream. Eat it all up before I can get out there. I don't need it. Love you, folks. Have a great week.